trying to go further in our sugya of the tongue is mightier than the sword. There's a a medrash. It's a famous medrash. Uh, just to deal a little bit with, there's a lashon in the pasuk in Mishlei that says, "Achaim v'amavis b'yad halashon v'yahaveha yechlu piria." So the way the tongue is described is having the power of life and death. And as we're trying to redefine our relationship to our different body parts, and we're looking upon the tongue not so much as a piece of pink flesh which crawls around in the recesses of our mouth, but rather we're trying to see what the potency of the tongue is. And we've had a variety of different chidushim in regard to the tongue. What we've, what we've discovered is that the primary way that you define the tongue is not as much as a piece of flesh which has the capacity to produce phonetic sounds and to taste a variety of different tastes, five in total. Recently they've included a new category of not only salt, salty, sweet, um, bitter and sour, but they've added in savory. Um, as a as a new yeah and uh, but well, not things which are savory but yeah. not only not only that is it so then the tongue we don't fight in other words if we relate to the tongue as a as a piece of flesh in my mouth so then we're not developing our connection to the depth and the power and what our theory is with without finding our relationship to this body part. So trying to adhere to to speaking without entering into the realm of Lashon Hara, destructive tongue usage, since it's called Lashon Hara, it means that for some Chazal saw that the, the skill of tongue wielding means learning how to use your tongue. It doesn't mean about focusing differently in your mind. It, it, it becomes located in the way you actually use the physical limb. And the tongue is going to be exceptional in terms of its power. To the degree that the Pasuk says that of all the Evarim, of all the different parts of a person, the ultimate power is placed in the hands of the tongue. And um, a Medrash is bought to support this. And it describes a very famous story, an analogy. It's strange because the Medrash actually, actually it's obviously seemingly a story, but it describes as happening to the king of Persia. That the king of per- Persia got sick, and no one could diagnose his disease until, after consulting with the expert doctors, they came to the conclusion that whatever was wrong with him could be cured by drinking the milk of a lioness. One of the servants of the king. Lady volunteered to go get the, w- w- the milk of a lioness. Now, obviously, getting the milk of a lioness in the day before sleeping darts that you could just shoot into the animal and it would fall asleep and you could do what you needed to do to it was a rather tricky procedure because lionesses are known to be rather aggressive. They are the hunters and they are the kind of animals which tend to rip to pieces all kinds of creatures of all different sizes. So the possibility of milking a lioness is quite a daunting one. But nevertheless, this person is courageous. 
and he takes with him ten goats and off he goes into the forest to find a lioness to milk. No sooner had he entered into the forest when he came upon a pride of lions and he began his strategy. He takes a goat, shechts it, and sees a lioness and they make eye contact and he gladly extends his, throws his goat in the direction of the lioness. The lioness lunges forward, pulls the goat away and eats it. I don't know if it was the next day or a few days later, whenever the food was digested, he comes across the lioness again, again he gives her a goat, and this continues, and every time he gives her the goat, it's like a form of animal training, she becomes more familiar with him, she becomes more at peace with him, trust builds up between them, and before long he's able to stroke her and play with her, and finally the um, animal is tamed to the degree whereby he's actually able to milk her of her milk and put it into a small bottle in order to give it to the king. He starts to get towards the palace of the king <coughs> and the way the major says it is he has a dream and in his dream there's a battle which begins between the different limbs. The different limbs start to guide each other. The legs say in pride, we are the most powerful of all limbs because without us you never would have come close to where the lioness is. And the hands say, what do you mean? There's no one like us because without us nothing could be done. There would have been no milking, there would be no throwing the goat. The heart says, it was truly me because I came up with the idea in the first place. And then the tongue speaks up and the tongue says, if I wouldn't have spoken up and volunteered my services to the king, nothing would have happened. All of a sudden, all the limbs turn on the tongue and they say, You pathetic creature, how dare you assume dominion over us? You are... located in a dark place and you don't have the power that the <coughs> other limbs do. You, you're caught up in, in, in a cave. How <laughs> dare you assume that you're even in the competition? So the tongue replies to the rest of the limbs, I'll prove to you that I'm in charge. They go towards the king, they enter into the palace and standing before the throne the man has this white liquid in this bottle and he looks at the king and he says, Here, I've brought you the milk of a dog. The king's insulted and shocked and the soldiers grab the man and the king proclaims his sentence and he says, Hang him. They take him off to be hung. Internally what happens is a tumult. The limbs start to war with one another. And they say, please. They start to plead for the tongue. And they say, tongue, you've proven to us that you are in fact the mightiest of all the limbs. Save us, save us, save us. The tongue says, okay, just like I showed that I could kill, I'll now show that I can cause life. And he says to the guards holding him, 
please, please, take me back to the king. I have something very important to relate to him. Goes back to the king and he says, the truth is, your majesty, I know that this is the right medicine for you, whether it be from a lioness or from a dog, it will help. But the truth is, it's actually from a lioness. Now, when I say dog, so in Aramaic, coin le, le via calbasa. It, 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 it can be utilized, that word can also sometimes refer to a lioness and I really meant it all along. The king takes the potion and he's cured and the man is acquitted. The Medrash concludes and it says, a strange conclusion, The extrapolation from this story is that the Loshan, the tongue is greater than the Korbanos. Shinemar, I will praise Hashem in song and I will make him great in thanks. And it will be better to Hashem than an ox and a bullock. Now, it's a fascinating measure. It seems almost a little bit too primitive. But seemingly what's being discussed is again plotting a very different relationship to our limbs and the way we interact with them. If you start to see your body in terms of a hierarchy of power invested in the different parts of the different... A body essentially, and this is so crucial to understand, is a vehicle for performing, uh, bringing ourselves into, into action in the world. Your mind's got all the ideas, at all the theories and the philosophies but without the body you remain trapped the person who is paralyzed so he can't do anything he can have all the greatest aspirations he can be a genius but if he's, if he's deaf and dumb and paralyzed so he's completely in prison what frees us what allows us the power of expression is the utilization of our limbs in order to actuate ourselves. When trying to engage in that process of bringing ourselves into being, our values, our theories and our philosophies, the means we use are our limbs. And therefore we have to think, okay, given our limbs, where do we rate them? Let's create a hierarchy. What's called the most powerful and what's called the least powerful of all limbs in terms of what we're meant to do in this world. So it becomes quite complicated because limbs have different functions. If you can't walk, well, if you can't walk, so then you can't get to places. If you can't, if you have no hands, so then you can't do things. If you, if you have no eyes, if you have no ears, comes along this medrash and it says, in that hierarchy, per force, the tongue plays the primary role. In terms of the power that we have to affect others and affect ourselves, there is nothing which is more powerful than the tongue itself. Which I think, I think, I think internally, experientially, it's a bit of a jolt to our system. Because I don't think we have a cognizance, I don't think we are mindful of our tongues that we process them as being our primary limb. If you ask the average person, what do you use, what, what's your most powerful being? They'll say, well, if you ask us an African, they'll say, it's, it's my puppies, hey, check out these puppies. Eh? Um, if you say the same question in American, you'll probably refer to guns. 
but generally people feel that their strength is located in the upper part of their arm perhaps in their fantastic torso there are those people who pride themselves on their six-pack again in yeshiva they are few and far between um, but it seems to be slightly experientially when you think about it I think it makes perfect sense but experientially it seems counterintuitive to give this overriding importance to this tiny little piece of flesh which is not even visible to the eye it lurks in the shadows of our being but if you start to think about it it becomes overwhelmingly obvious that the highest and deepest expression the most powerful thing we ever possess is our tongues our phone. Now the tongue has a unique role. First of all, you see from this major clearly it can actually cause life and death. The way you phrase something and what you say to people is ultimately the truest representation, the most powerful representation of yourself. You can gesture, you can move, you can do, but there is nothing as explicit as a description through the use of words which are manipulated by your tongue to convey to others yourself. So it's interesting how in Lambdas you define writing. If, if, if writing would be a tolda of Loshan, a tolda of Yad. Do you understand? Yeah. Separate question. Putting writing aside. It comes from the same place where your tongue gets what it wants to say as well. For sure. For sure. For sure. We'll see. We will see. Okay, so the tongue is the most... Now, what the tongue does is the tongue is able to straddle two worlds. What the tongue is, is, is designed for is to fuse the spiritual with the physical being, with the physical limb. In other words, you can't really say thoughts are physical because they don't, they don't have a limb of expression. But my words are clearly not physical, yet they come about through a physical entity. So what the tongue is, it's the most spiritual of all limbs, of all physical moving parts. It's by far the most spiritual. Because it's the part of the body that moves, and through its movement, it's able to transcend space and time through the description of an idea in the positive and through the characters as its nation in the negative. As we've said previously, the power of the tongue is spiritual in as much as it doesn't have to be subject to the dimensions of space and time. Through my tongue, I can affect people who are a thousand miles away and a thousand years ago. The tongue has such power that it's not limited to any physical dimension. And that's why we said that the Maharal Paskind, if you speak Loshon Hara in front of a person, it's not considered Loshon Hara. It's bad, it's wrong. But since you could hit him in the face, so the fact that you use your tongue to do it is not considered Loshon Hara. If you, let's say in the world of fiction, if you're alone in a room with a evil creature and all you have in your hand is a lightsaber so the way you kill him with a lightsaber is you switch it on and the laser beam gush forth from its 
handle and then you're able to cut them into slices. Now, you could also turn the lightsaber upside down and smash him on the head with a handle. Granted, you'd be using, as it were, a lightsaber to kill him, but you wouldn't be using the lightsaber Sheboy as a lightsaber. You, you won't be expressing the power of the lightsaber, which is, of course, the laser beam, in that act. So when you go and you speak in front of a person, you're hurting him, but you're not using the power of the tongue to hurt him, because you could hit him in the face once you're in his proximity. You could knee him in the upper thigh. You could cause that harm in a variety of different ways. So even though it happens to be that the harm you're causing him is this incidentally through the tongue, but it's not tongue dicker damage. Only when you leave the room and then you inflict the harm on him are you using the power of the tongue. Are you following me? The power of the tongue dafka begins when any physical power stops. That's when the, t- the tongue comes into its own right. That's the severity of the tongue. When you can hit a person in the face and you decide to pass a derisive remark, so you're just using two different means of hurting him when in close proximity. That's not, ex- that's not, ex- that's not emphasizing, that's not, that's not using tongue power. That's using power. You happen to use you a variety of weapons, so you happen to use the tongue. But you're enforcing the damage based on the proximity, not based on the power of the tongue. That's right. According to the Maral, the Chofetz Chaim argues. What if, what if you were in the same room and the guy is there but in a different place in that room and you're speaking about him? Would that not be considered either? So, so again, any any time that you the the tongue begins when physical power stops. So if you could have hit him, so when you speak about him close by, so then you, you you could have done, you're not using the power of the tongue to harm him. You're not using the tongue's unique power. If you're saying it deliberately behind his back, so he won't hear you, yes. so then you are using the power of the tongue. Even though you could, like, shoot an arrow at him. Yes. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, I mean, by insulting him, you, you, even though you, you're causing a different type of damage. Different type of damage. But it's but not... You're right, in terms of the quality of what harm you're causing, it's different. Like you can hit him in the ribs, you can hit him in the eye, you can hit him on the ear, you can hit him in the heart. So with the tongue, you hit him in, in a, you're locating... It could be, the, the it could be but it's not you're not, you're not, you're not using the power of the tongue to do it. You're not using the tongue's unique power. The tongue's unique power is it has the power to affect people thousands of miles away. So the power, the power of the tongue, the tongue is this, this gigantic, this nuclear-driven force that we have located in our mouths. How do we affect this on the past? There was a once a great man called Napoleon, and <coughs> I say to you, Napoleon was a selfish person that never let anyone share his food. So, I don't know if it's true or not, but by that, I've now destroyed Napoleon in your eyes. At least he's selfish in regard to food. So, the world, the world, the world is built on words. The world, as it as it as it stands, is like the clay that hasn't been formed into a shape. The world's need, the world word need, the world needs a commentary, and the commentary comes about through words. So the world in its normal state, just viewed through the eyes of the observer, is still passive. 
What actualizes the world is its discussion. And the truth is, the way we perceive and the way we process reality is on words, not on sight. Because sight never has a connotation in a particular direction. It's interpretation. Today I saw a person walking down the street and he's going like this. So now, I, I, I phrase the caption of the person. I can say, isn't that beautiful? He's walking down the street and he's, and he's calling out for help from above. Or I can say, what am I sugar now? He's walking through the street and he's like behaving like a... What, what the? I give the caption. I can, say, I can say the power of prayer or I can say the patheticness of oddness. <laughs> I don't know if the word is patheticness. It could be patheticality. Um, patheticity. Patheticity, that's right. So... The, the, the world itself begs interpretation. There's nothing, there's nothing defined about an event. And the way you bring the world into being is through its discussion, through speaking about it. So essentially reality is formed through speech. The way that we live it. It's all about words. And words are emitted through our tongue. So in terms of the most powerful part of our beings is clearly our tongue. Now, the more you dwell, delve into it, the more you misbrainate on, on what your tongue is and the power that it has, the more you grow cautious of how you use it. Because, from my own personal experience, this is, this is, I've, tried, I've been playing around with this. I've been trying to focus on using my tongue. We said that the primary definition of a tongue is a revealer. It takes a hidden and it brings it into the open. It does it in terms of my thoughts. What I'm thinking it gives an access to others, to what's going on in my inner self. It gives access to others in terms of information they do not know. Essentially the tongue's primary role is a revealer. That's how you define a tongue. So what I've been working on is in the context of filler, making sure that what the tongue reveals is actually a hidden part of who I am. Because otherwise, there's a strange absurdity of a tongue revealing something which isn't hidden. You say that twice in Tefillah. Sorry? If you say that twice in the Shemesh, you hear it from the Shemesh. 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 You hear it from the that's so exactly those words. <coughs> may, may tongue be actually what I'm really wanting. So what you're doing is exactly it's a point. So now, so I go and I'm davening and I say, Hashiveno, Hashiveno So what am I saying? I'm saying inside of me there's this deep desire for the Jewish people as a whole to come back to tshuva. That's what's inside of me, but it's buried. So it's really the context where I can take that deep urge, that, that yearning, and express it. And say, Now, what happens if I say those words and I'm not present? And there's not that deep yearning inside. So then what is the tongue doing? The tongue's a revealer, but it's not revealing anything because it's actually presenting something which doesn't exist. Are you following me? And I think this perhaps where, where lies our problem. That the fact that we are not used to using our tongues as a bridge, because I speak for myself, we have become habituated in speaking sheker. By sheker, I don't only mean lying. What I mean is, we're used to speaking about something which doesn't exist in our inner worlds. 
So I'm very easy to express things which only exist from my tongue outwards and not my tongue is not a bridge. It's a starting point. For example, hi, how are you doing? My intention is not to know how you're doing. It's not that I'm expressing myself and inquiring on your welfare. There's a social norm. When see person, say those words. So therefore so therefore the words are not a revelation of my inner world. They're just a <coughs> imposition halfway. In other words, there's no the, the, the tongue's not a bridge. It's a starting point. You seem to be working. You're arguing, Tamir, why? Because that was my half a minute too, but um, Rashi disagrees when Malachim came to Hagar and started speaking to her about where she came from. They knew where she came from. The reason they asked her is just to start a conversation. It's just stum, just stum t- saying things to people just to build a connection is worthwhile. And the interpretation depends. So then again, it depends intention. You're if really I'm saying, if I see you and I think, I better say something to you, otherwise you'll be offended. So I'll say something which I have no... I have no real desire to know the answer to, but in other words, uh, okay. Let, 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 let's let's make this, it becomes a very difficult suga. In other words, th- th- this is what I mean. Let me try and explain myself. I come up to you and I say to you, "Hello, Tommy. How are you?" Now there could be multiple reasons for their comment. Let's say in the purest situation, the reason would be. I care about you. I'm concerned about you. That's something which is part of my emotional world. That emotional world hasn't yet come into the fore. When I see you, so I express that emotional connection through those words. And I say, hello Tommy, how are you? So then, there's a revelation and a alignment between the words I'm saying and my, there's an integrity between what I feel and what I say and my intention in terms of conveying the message to you. Same. Alternatively, it could be that I couldn't care about you less. I have no concern for your welfare. But I have a concern for my own welfare. And I don't want you to think of me as being a grobe or as inconsiderate. So therefore, I'll say those words not because I have a concern for you. I'll say, hello, Tommy, how are you? But really what I'm saying is <coughs> Really, what the words I'm saying are, um, I'm saying these words to you, lest you think I don't care about you. So to give you the wrong impression of my inner world, I will say words so that you won't hold it against me. So that's that's a distortion. So your point is that the, it's not the words that that have to mean exactly what they're saying. It's just that however you are relating to people through your tongue is a real relation. Not so that those words have to be exactly yeah. Granted that there are situations when the actual text, as it were, of your words isn't directly, literally connected to your expression. But there are many times when there's a complete dislocate from the words you're saying and the inner world. So it's... Okay, so just to like make sure I have this, that the um, what you're talking about is that your is like that your tongue should be speaking the MS of really what's going on inside. Your tongue, your tongue is the the conduit. It it connects the inner world with the outer world. Now it can only work that way if there's an integrity between the inner and the outer worlds. The minute there's no integrity, meaning the thing that it's saying is not the thing inside, so that's called echad bepeve echad belave. It means that th- th- there's a dislocate. 
there's a dislocate and the words that are being said are coming from nowhere as it were they really are there to bridge hello tell me how are you concern and love and these words form that bridge they form that expression they connect the, they connect what i'm feeling to the external world but in fact when my intentions are wrong there's no connection whatsoever Yes. So um, again, that, that one, that one abuse of the tongue. Just as an example, Loshnari is a further abuse of the tongue. Loshnari is a further abuse of the tongue because it's taking its power and it's using it to harm another. It's taking the power of the tongue, which really can build, can build incredibly powerful structures. I can go up to you and I say, "Have you seen Kalman recently?" So no. I say, um, he's such a good guy. He's such a good guy. He he really needs a chavusa between two and two thirty. Could you help him out? So those words could essentially build Kelman's world. He'll have a chavusa. He won't be so downcast. Etc. Whatever the situation is, I can I can build. I can build a universe with my words, or I can destroy a universe with my words. And the tongue, the tongue again. That's why, but Chazal never spoke about words. That's a fascinating point. And that's why, that's what I'm trying to, in many different ways, uh, fortunately for the boredom of all those present, that's the point I'm trying to, not all those, most of those. Uh, that's why I'm trying to say this point over again and again and again. Because there's <coughs> a different, we don't see tongues, we see words. And I think you have to see a tongue in order to get access to this. You have to see that there's a limb that expresses those words. And the point of control is in the limb. We have to look at the tongue as a limb and not as not as words. I, I know, I, I know, I know. Listen, I know I'm being cryptic. Listen, I know this is boring. Listen, I know that my tongue is doing a bad job over here. Um, I don't know what to do. I don't know of an, another way. I don't, I, don't, I don't. What do you want me to do? What do you actually want me to do? Should I express this differently? Can I, oh, I want you to again. You have an arm. You have hands. So you have to use them. So let's say you're learning Mortal Kombat. You're learning Tai Chi, so you'll spend hours trying to figure out. You'll spend hours trying to figure out this movement and exactly how the movement goes. Now, the intention of working on the process of the movement is—it's not so that you can do the movement; it's what the movement will do to you or to others. So we have to focus on learning how to move our tongues. I don't think, in other words, don't focus, we try to focus on the words we say that's wrong. You have to locate the point of control is in the limb, it's not in the mind. What's the difference? Why? I mean, why? If you see it as a limb, what does that If you see it as a limb, so then it creates an accessibility to its control. If you see it as words, so there's nothing you can, you can, nothing you can attach yourself to. For example, I'll give you a simple, simple exercise. I'm not going to tell you about theories and philosophies. I'm going to give you a directive. Do not use your tongue for two hours. Mm. Mm. <coughs> I'm not telling you what to think. I'm not telling you what to say. I'm saying the limb, don't use the limb. Or I'm saying to you another thing. Close your teeth and your lips whenever a person says something negative. As opposed to saying to you, you have to see things are like that. In other words, the power of the tongue is, is such that if you learn to move it differently, so then you, it, it's in your control. 
And I think the way we relate, that, that's what I'm trying to get across here. And I know it's laborious. And I know I seem to be saying the same thing again. And again. And again. But it's because this is a crucial point. It's a crucial, crucial point. That we have to redefine our relationship to our limbs. We have to, we have to feel our tongue. I don't think we have mindfulness of our tongue. The, the way the, the morale begins, he says that, that the reason why the tongue is considered to have the power of life and death in it is because it's a limb which almost moves on its, on its, own, on its own accord. What I understand him to be saying is that we are very cognizant, we are, we are not cognizant of the manipulation of our... Uh, because our, our arms and our legs are bigger, bigger limbs, we're much more conscious and in control of their movements. But the tongue is a very, it's a very quick limb that moves almost without us ironically thinking. So we can say things and we can do things which can be extremely destructive, but there's not that much time to control them. And that's why the, that's why the morale says, if you want to hurt someone, so there needs a, 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 a lot of stuff has to be present. You have to, you have to start going towards the person. You have to dodge and weave. You have to. It's not such a posh dezach. It doesn't happen kalachayad. You can't by mistake hit a person in the face, and, and it doesn't happen. You need intent. You need premeditation. You need a lot of body control and motor coordination to make it happen. Whereas our tongues are, are moving so rapidly and so easily that we can, we can use them in extremely destructive means without almost like three comments and we've destroyed two different lives without even blinking an eyelid. So we have to start to see the limb as a means of prevention and as a means of building. We have to learn to move our tongues differently. That's where it should be. Are you following me? It's crucial. It is crucial. And that's, wh- that's why the Medrash says it's, it's almost the limbs versus the tongue. It's not the ver- limbs versus the mind. Of course not. It's that this is a limb which, is, which has incredible... Power. So I thought as, an, as a fascinating exercise, practicing tongue control. And, for example, not using your tongue to go to the roof of your mouth and pronounce no. No. So never say the word no. And become conscious of avoiding saying that word to get a sense of mindfulness, of awareness of your tongue. I'm pretty sure that the only way we can use to learn to use our tongues is by not using them. If we're always using our tongues, I don't think we ever, we'll never see them. We'll only be able to feel our tongues as being used if we stop speaking for a while. Or stop producing certain sounds with our tongues. I, my kids and I often play a game. It's called Ken Lo Shachor Levan. You can say any words, but you can't say Ken Lo. Sh- you can't say yes, no, black, white. So I say, Shimi, what color is your shirt? It's not green. It's not green. <laughs> so, so what happens is you actually start to, to feel. You feel the control. Otherwise, we don't, I don't think we have a sense of control. And as long as you don't have a sense of control, so it's pointless thinking about Lashonara, yes, Lashonara, no, Lashonara. You don't have a Lashon yet. First of all, you have to get mindfulness of your Lashon. And then, then you can speak about not speaking, yes, speaking. Then also what happens is, you start to feel the beauty of your tongue. You, you redefine your relationship. It's almost as if, imagine if you felt what your tongue did. So your tongue just said, Hakone soinadir. Tore me senai. 
So your tongue is a parchment that the words of the Torah are written on. Now imagine you've got a Sefer Torah in front of you. And on the words of the Sefer Torah, where it says, You shouldn't act as a talbearer amongst your folk, which is the Isodorites of Lashon Hora. You take a, a pen and you start writing. You put the Sefer Torah on the floor. You stamp on it and you start writing over Shimon is a selfish miser. Would you ever do such a thing? I would never do such a thing. What would I do? One second. Your tongue says So your tongue is the parchment that those words are written on. That same tongue will go say Shimon is a miser. But how can you do that? You're taking that Sefer Torah and you're writing on schmutz. But you can do it. It's only because you have no idea you have a tongue. That's what I mean it's in the tongue. Are you following me? Okay, boys, Sam. Um, hopefully we'll have another session of belaboring this point again. But in the meantime, I'll stop.